And as, as I was... Uh, as I was meditating on some things, and, and I was thinking about this, the, the, the saying you often hear around this time, oh, they've got the spirit of Christmas. And, you know, what they're saying is, you know, oh, the, the, there's the giving, and oh, there's the, the family or community and love, etc., whatever you want to attach to that. But what I was thinking about for this morning is, what about the spirit in Christmas? Yeah. And the, the thing we often don't realize is that the Holy Spirit was very much involved in the Christmas story. And how could he not be? He is the man of action out of the Trinity. All Everything flows forth from the Father who is the head. It's all made possible by Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came out. He's the man of the action. And that's why in creation we see that God said, oh, he's going to create the earth. And it says the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. He's just waiting. What do you want me to do, Father God? What, what, what's the commands? And, and so when it comes to the Christmas story, the Holy Spirit was intimately involved in it. And so I want to give a look at that this morning, if you're ready for it. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, I was thinking about for the Christmas story, we often read it out of Matthew, but I think I like the story out of Luke better. And when it comes with Luke, the reason why I like it is because it's so detailed, it's very specific, and it's in a good order. And there's a reason for that. When Luke set out to write his gospel, he was not an eyewitness to the events. If you want to look at Luke this way, he was an investigative reporter. He had gone and he had interviewed those who were there. He was a traveling companion of Paul, and we know Paul, he, he took trips through Jerusalem where he met with some of the disciples, and during that time, Luke would have been traveling along with him. And so we can, we can, just by looking at the way he words things in the Christmas story, we most likely know that he had a conversation with Mary, the mother of Jesus, because he has little comments like, and Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Well, how would he know that? He talked to her. You know, it's not like he's so far removed from it where those people still weren't alive. And so when he's starting out the book of Luke, he's writing a little bit of, a, of an opening and he's writing to Theophilus and he says, you know, I, I wanted to, having perfect understanding of what had happened, it seemed good to me to do this. And that statement stands out because isn't that the same statement? We see the Acts when the, the disciples and Paul, they're being led by the Holy Spirit and it says, it seemed Seemed good to me. And so Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he just said, you know, I've had all these conversations. It just seems like I need to write them down. And he tells Theophilus this. I felt that it needed to be in an orderly fashion. Which means, you know, whenever you're having conversations with people, you get a little bit here and a little bit there, and then you're, you're trying to put the pieces together. So Luke had all these conversations. He says, you know, what we need is some order. We need to put this in their perspective so that others that come beyond, come after us, can look at this story and be like, okay, so this is the progression of what had happened. And so as he's putting things in an orderly fashion, he starts in a place that we would not think to start. And in Luke chapter 1, if you want to join me in your Bibles there today, and in verse 5, he says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Why start the story like this? You would think, let's jump right into Jesus. Because there was more at work put into the story of Jesus, things preparing for him for that moment. And the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias and their miracle child is, is vital to the story of Jesus. And so why does he start it like this? He's letting you know that he's a respecting authority. He's looking that there was a priestly lineage and he's like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to use that lineage to bring glory on this earth. And so he says, here is Elizabeth, who is a daughter of Aaron. Who was Aaron? Aaron was the first high priest. And so the, this child that has come is coming through the high priestly lineage. And then he says, and Zacharias was of the order of Abijah. Well, that really means nothing to us, but do you want to know what the order of Abijah was? When the children of Israel had been carried off into, into exile, into Babylon, they took all the priestly people with them. And after they had spent their time, God said, I'm drawing you back to the land. And when Zerubbabel came back to rebuild the temple and rebuild the nation, he brought several orders of priests back with him. One of them was the order of Abijah. And so we need to understand that because this is a true priestly lineage that had returned from Babylon and was still operating in that time. Why do we need to know this? Because if we follow through Jewish history in the time leading up to the birth of Jesus and his crucifixion, the, the priestly aspect of the nation of Israel is basically going for the highest bidder. The high priest was basically one who had bought his power so that he could then influence through his authority and power to make himself even richer. And so what the Luke is wanting you to know in starting the story this way, saying God looked at all that was going on and he said, it's okay, I still have the true line in which things can come through. It doesn't matter how bad the system is, I've still got people I can use, I've still got people I can flow through. And that's a testament to our time when we look and we're like, oh, the, everything that's going on, God still has people he can use. He's still got people, he's got his hand and his spirit upon that his, his will and his influence can still be exerted on this earth. You know, if we think of the story of Elijah, when he said, oh, I'm all alone, I'm the only one who served you, what did God say to him? There's still 7,000 who haven't bent the knee to the false god. And so when we think things are, are, are closed and things are isolated and things are bad, guess what? Light dispels darkness and he's always got a way that you haven't considered. And so when it comes to the story of John the Baptist leading up to the birth of Jesus, he's saying like, I'm going to do it in a way you wouldn't have thought. Oh wait, here we got a daughter of Aaron and we've got a priest from the line of Abijah. I'm going to go ahead and use them for my glory. And so in verse 8 it says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of the incense. So he's in there, he's doing his job, he's doing what, what's supposed to be done, and all of a sudden, dun, 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 we've got an angel. And you think whenever that happens, you think that people are like, oh, oh that never happens. That never happens that way. It says, when Zacharias saw him, he was greatly troubled, and fear fell upon him. That, that word troubled is where we get our word for anxious or anxiety or worried. He's like, oh no, I've done it wrong. I've screwed something up. This is not a good thing. And the man, we got to just remember that God's a good God. God is a good God, and when he shows up on the scene of your life, it's for good things. It's to, to, to bring you into the place that he's called you to and established you. But that wasn't Zacharias' response. He's like, oh no, I've screwed up. Something's going on here. But the angel said to him, as they always do, don't be afraid. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the angels must be sick of having to say that, because every time we have a story of an angel, it's always, don't be afraid. <laughs> Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And so in the story between Zacharias and Elizabeth, we know that she was barren and that they wanted a child, but they're now old, but they haven't stopped praying. And he says, and you will have joy and gladness and rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither strong drink, and he'll also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so here we have in the promise of John the Baptist coming, saying the Holy Spirit's already getting involved in the story even before we've had a mention of Jesus. And the thing is, for us, we have to remember that the Holy Spirit's probably been working on things long before you even realized you had an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Mom, God knows the end from the beginning. He knew what you were going to run into. And the Holy Spirit's already been working in it, saying, okay, I've got this prepared for you. Come on, this is the way you need to go. That's why it's important to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He's already been making a way of escape before you even knew you needed to escape. That's right. And so the, he says the Holy Spirit will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah and to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And I love this last one. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, if you think about this, if this is all leading up to Jesus coming the first time, do you not think he's going to do it the same the second time? That he's going to start turning hearts back to the Father? That he's going to be preparing people that say, hey, come on, Jesus is coming back. Yes. And so as it was the first time, it's going to be the same way the second time. God's going to have people that go before him that are preparing the people, preparing them, reminding them of the goodness of God, reminding them of all the things that he said and that the king is coming back. And I think that's one of the messages that gets left out of Christmas as we think about the king coming. I want you to remember he coming back. He's coming back. And as the book of Revelation says, even so, Lord, come quickly. So we have this great promise of what's going to happen in the life of this child, John, and that's story number one that, John, that Luke starts with. 
But there's a second story, and we're all more familiar with that story. And in verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent God, uh, by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed of a man whose name was Joseph, and the house of, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord with you, and blessed are you among women. So here we got another moment, just like Zacharias. Dun da da da, the angel there, he's like, Rejoice! And it says, And when Mary saw him, she was troubled at his saying. <laughs> Again, the, the angels just can't catch a break, can they? She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, their famous line, Do not be afraid, Mary. Hallelujah. That's, that's a, a word I believe the Holy Spirit is consistently speaking to our hearts. When we step into worry and anxiety, he's saying, It's okay, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Hallelujah. So he says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so that's the first part of these two stories. We've got two stories that are running side by side, and both of these stories have two great promises. The promise to Zacharias and Elizabeth is that there's going to someone come from you that's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and he's going to pray people for the Lord. And then the promise to Mary is the Lord's coming through you. He's going to come upon you. But with two stories and two great promises, we also find that there's two very different responses. And here's where I want to focus on the Holy Spirit. You know, when the Holy Spirit is leading us and, and moving us to go in certain directions, we always fall into these same two responses that we see here in the book of Luke. The first one, our first story with the story of Zacharias, in verse number 18, the, he's just said this great promise to him that he's going to turn the hearts of the people back. He's going to prepare their heart for the coming of the Lord. And Zacharias' response to the angel was, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced years. And on the surface, that seems like a simple set question. But when we look down to the root of what he actually said in the Greek, it sounds more like this. Do you expect me to believe this? The promise has been given to him, and his response is, do you expect me to believe this? And the, the second part's even worse. He, he should be happy that his wife wasn't there. He says, I'm an old man, and my wife is now an old woman. I'm sure she'd be like, you speak for yourself, Zacharias. Come on. And so the first part, he says, you know, he's like, I don't, I don't know if I can believe this because I don't know how it can happen. I'm old. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we often do the same thing. I don't know how I could flow in the gifts of the Spirit like that. I'm just not sure that you've prepared things for me to walk in. I'm just not sure that I could do that because fill in the blank of whatever your excuse is. And so Zacharias' response is like, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I can believe this. Mary stands on the opposite side of that. She says, well, how can this be since I don't know a man? 
Her question was a question of how is this going to happen? Zacharias's response was a questioning that it would happen. And so they end up with two different responses from the angel based upon their response to the promise. And here's Zacharias's response from the angel. The angel answered and said to them, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day that these things take place because everyone catch this. You did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their old time. And so the angel stands like, do you not know who I am? I came straight from the presence of God to deliver this message to you. And it's going to happen. And I'm going to have to get you out of the way. We're not going to have any of these negative words going on anymore. You know, you're saying, I don't think this can happen. So guess what? You're saying nothing for the next nine months. And we should take that advice. When God speaks a promise to you, shut your negative mouth up. Don't let those words of unbelief and doubt slip out. It's going to come to pass. Go ahead and align your words with it rather than against it. And so the angel says, hey, this is happening, and we're just going to have to move you out of the way so that it'll continue on. Because what's going to happen if Zacharias continues saying, yeah, nope, that's not happening, that's not happening. There is power in your words. The Bible says that they set your course and your direction. They're like the rudder on a ship. And he would have moved himself away from the promise and God would have had to go through a different way. Mary's response, she says to the angel, how can this happen? I've never known a man. And the response is completely different for her. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. What does he do? He answers the question. He has no problem answering your questions, but he generally ignores your unbelief and your doubt. If you take your unbelief and your doubt and you say, well, why don't I believe this? Okay, God, I'm having a little hard time understanding how this is going to happen. Can you explain it to me? That's different than saying, I don't think this is going to happen. Yeah. One is a position of being unmovable. The other one's a position of being teachable. And so the Holy Spirit says to her, or the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the God. And then he goes ahead and he merges the two stories. And he says, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Why, when he mentions Zacharias' story, does he say, for with God, nothing will be impossible? Because Zacharias said, it's impossible. And so the angel reiterates that, hey, what God wants to do, God gets. So go ahead and move along with him. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
And so in both stories, the Holy Spirit was going to be getting involved. And one said, yes, I believe as you have spoken. And the other said, I don't think that's going to happen. And these are the same two responses that we have when we see the promises of God reflected in the Word. We can either say, nope, I don't think that's going to happen. And the other response is, yes, let it be. Okay, come on, come on, guys. That means that when the promise comes to you and the Holy Spirit is working on your heart, what is your response to be? Yes, it'll be done as you have said. When he said that he'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, what do you say? Yes, it's done in my life. Oh, when he said that he'll bind your wounds, my goodness, your emotional wounds, physical wounds, your spiritual wounds, well, he'll bind them up and he'll cause healing to flow to them. You just say, yes, according to your word, it shall be done unto me. And so throughout the Bible, we have these great things that are spoken about his children and what has been set for us. And our responses can be one of these two. Like when Jesus said, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believe, why don't we just go ahead and say, according to your word, let it be done unto me. When on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and he begins to preach under the power of the Holy Spirit, he said, quoting the prophet Joel, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Why don't we go ahead and have a response to that and say, it will be according to as you have spoken. Your spirit will come upon me. I will prophesy. I will have dreams. I will have visions. Or what about when Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What should our response be? As you have spoken, Lord, so let it be for me. Or as when Jesus said, you shall receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What is your response? Oh Lord, as you have spoken, let it be for me. Or when Paul encourages us to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy, prophesy what is our response to be? Okay, come on, if I still have to encourage you at this point, what should our response be? Let it be unto me according to as you have spoken. Or as he speaks of the Holy Spirit, he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things I have said. Lord, I have spoken. Let it be in my life. Holy Spirit, lead me in your paths. Teach what I need to know. Bring to my remembrance the things that I've forgotten. In John 16, where he says, However, the Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak with authority, but whatever he hears, that will he speak. And he will tell you things to come. What is the response? Lord, as you have spoken, so let it be unto me. And so now as we stand at the end of this series that we've just taken 26 weeks with the response, well, that sounds nice, but I'm not sure how that would happen to me. Or we can let Mary's words be an encouragement to us. Let it be to me according to your word.
Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this season of Christmas where we celebrate the coming of Jesus. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that has been involved in that. We know that you have not stopped talking to your children. We know that you have not stopped flowing through them and working with them. And we know that Jesus, the peace that you brought on earth, still remains with us. As you have said in your word, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, but my peace do I leave with you. And so, Father, we thank you for And we say, according to your word, what you have spoken, let it be unto me. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, maybe you're here in this place this morning and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life or you're watching us via the internet. This is no better time than right now to let him come into your life. Let him be your Lord and your Savior. And all it says in the word, it says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we would love to pray with you right now. Church, come on, let's pray. Say, Father, we ask for Jesus and we receive him right now. Your perfect gift your gift of love that you've sent for me. I receive him right now and I turn from all else. And I say, let you be the cornerstone of my life. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with us, we would love to get some resources into your hands. If you're online, we'd love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area. And, you know, if you're watching in the Smith Falls area, we say welcome home. We'd love to worship with you. And guys, our Word Care team is going to be right over here in a moment. If you have anything that you need prayer for, anything you need encouragement over, they would love to pray with you today. If you'd like to give today, you can do so at wordchurch.ca or there's uh, envelopes in the front and basket at the back. But guys, it is Christmas. Let's remember Jesus in this Christmas time. But remember, the Holy Spirit was flowing through that time and he's still flowing through you in this season. Amen. Well, parents, uh, before you leave today, Mr. Craig loves to do gifts for all of the children every year. So once your children come from upstairs, he would love to bless you with some things. And guys, have a good Christmas season. We'll see you all soon.